Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name this morning. I invite your attention to Mark 14. While you are turning there, one thing that really resonated with me from the Sunday school lesson was Solomon's feelings of inadequacy. He expressed that to God. He said, you have, you're placing me in a position, I guess, of responsibility. And he was young, but he wanted wisdom to carry that out. And I think all ministers and all dads can relate with that. So in thinking about the sermon this morning, um, a couple things came together, and that is two people this week came and were seeking some advice, which made me feel even more inadequate and more young and inexperienced. And um, it reminded me that many years ago, at the very beginning of my ministry, I had brought a message about discerning God's will. And Lydia found some notes from that. They were not complete necessarily, but they were there. And so a couple things came together. Um, Mark 14 is the exact passage that Brother John preached from last Sunday. Um, But it was on my heart, and something there really jumped out at me. Another thing was that I realized this sermon was too broad to cover in one message, and so it's going to have to be a two-part message at least, and you will need to exercise some patience because the next Sunday I'm scheduled to preach is communion, and I don't think we'll use this message for that, and the next one after that is all the way in the middle of November, and so there's going to be a long time between the introduction and maybe some of the practical, and so with that in mind, I'm going to have to venture a bit into um, some of the second message this morning, and then in the second message, maybe back up and pick up a few things from this message. But um, in the thing of discerning God's will, ministers do this and wondering what to speak, and then sometimes there's doubt. Well, because of this distance, was this correct? And yet it seemed like it was. So what really stood out to me from Mark 14, since you're there, is the disciples were humble enough to ask Jesus in verse 12, where do you want us to go and prepare? And so they knew they had this job. They wanted, but they didn't know how to proceed. And so I like that they ask Jesus, where, what should we do? Okay, in verse 13 and 14 and 15, he gave directions, very clear Um, paralleling Solomon a bit, we wish sometimes that it was that explicit and our directions were more than just general, but they got specific directions here. You will notice in 16, the disciples went out. And so to me, I saw obedience there. They, They had their direction and then they carried it out. It took some faith. Like Abraham, they didn't know God, Jesus didn't tell them, like Brother John pointed out, what this man's name was necessarily or the address. He just said, do this and do this and do this. And the third point I noticed was 
they found it just as he had said to them. So they found it. They, uh, they had a revelation, <laughs> a moment of truth, in that when they asked first, obeyed second, they found it. And then lastly, um, and they prepared the Passover. And so there's where the work actually started. <laughs> Is um, So now they had their direction. They still um, had work to do. So they, they knew now um, where to go and work. And so I was just blessed by that to see that little progression of uh, men, experienced men, seeking God and how that worked out. Now, it's easy to look back. I'll just say it's easy to look back and see the pieces falling together. It's less clear looking forward, and you're not quite sure where in this process we are. So as an introduction now, let's just let's back up and think about this whole thing of, of God's will. Um, now the question was raised in the men's class, um, was it risky for God to ask Solomon such a, a question? And I was just kind of pondering through that. Did not Jesus give us the same question when he said, ask? and it will be given you, seek, and you shall find, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So do we not have the same request God risked with us, saying, ask, and um, it will be given you. Now that's, of course, inside of God's will, but I think we struggle with this. So from sometime in our mid-teens forward, we start putting some real energy into what does God want. Um, sometimes it's clear, sometimes not as clear. Let's go to, so now we'll start kind of setting a foundation to work from. I would say this, Brother Wes Sinzenig at a Christian Light this week said it's really important what question we start with, and I think he's right, because the whole subject of why, why all the evil, pain, and trouble in the world, he said that's not a good question to start with. A better question to start with is, a better premise to start with is, why is God good? And get that, God is good. God desires good. And start there and then work from that. So we'll do that this morning a little bit. In Revelation 4.11, um, especially in the King James, this is apparent that we were created. So it's commenting on Genesis and saying that man, well, I'll just read the verse. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will they exist and were created. Or if you're in the King James, for thy pleasure they were created. So God started out desiring man. And as I review creation, it was all set in place for man, that was it was not complete until man was there. In fact, it feels like God had in mind man, and everything leading up to that was so that man would have a place to live. And I have heard it said, and you have too, that there's a God-sized hole in every person's heart, and until they find God, it's just an emptiness and a vacuum there. That is true, but I think it's also true that there was a man-sized hole in God's heart. And I can't explain to you how a perfect God can have, but there was a desire. God wanted people. He wanted fellowship. He wanted a creation, and he wanted us to glorify him and to bring him glory. And so um, 
there's an almighty God looking for fellowship. I'm reading, just referring now to Romans, in that God invested heavily on, in mankind. Think about not only the creation, but his son. So God's only begotten son being sent to the world, sacrificed. Romans tells us when we were without strength, Christ died for the ungodly. And verse 8, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so I, there isn't just this need for fellowship with God. There's this love that he's pouring out on his creation. And so he is, he is investing heavily in his, in his creation, in us. And it, I, I can hardly fathom this, but a God with no limit of power, creativity, knowledge, wisdom, or perception, ruling the universe, the entirety of the universe, and yet being infinitely aware of each of us and what we think and how we feel and our, our goals, ambitions, our struggles, uh, David said in Psalms 45, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works, creation which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted. If I were to declare and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. And also in Psalm 139, David says, How precious are your thoughts to me, O God, how great is the sum of them. And so can you imagine a, a, a perfect, huge, almighty God thinking about you, us, and one, not wondering, but knowing our, our, little, our little turns in life and, and just, just things, it, it, it amazes me that there is a God who is that interested in each of us. And yet we, we think in terms of capacity and we say we, don't, we couldn't do that. Well, God can. And so he is, he is very personally interested in each of our lives. I want to say that God also desires to lead us. You can see just in the example of Solomon that God was wanting. You might ask, why did God make that, that, that offer to Solomon? But wasn't God wanting to know Solomon's heart? Wasn't he wanting to bless him but letting Solomon have the free choice? Um, it, it was there. And so in 2 Chronicles, I really like this verse, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. And so God is, God is, um, God is just wanting us to find what he has for us. He's, he's wanting that. He desires that. And our desire as a Christian is to find that. And so we have two willing parties, if you will, um, both desiring the same thing. Jeremiah noted that I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. And so we have to admit we don't know. Um, Solomon did that. We need to do that. So... Even as a 49-year-old man, there's just so much that we don't know. And I'm looking at you, and I think you would all say the same thing, that there are 
just uh, many, many things that we don't know. And so I don't know how this works exactly, but God is there. He can see the future, the past perfectly, every other person and their thoughts. And um, we are just really limited by one perspective at one time, knowing none of the future or very, very brief pictures of it and forgetting much of the past. And so we're in just tiny little sphere and um, we just need God. We just really need him to to give us direction. Um, I would not say that we are exactly blind, but our vision is very, very limited. And um, Jeremiah was uh, correct that we, we don't know. And I'm blessed as you read through the Bible of people that, that call out to God. They are seeking God, and I'm challenging us to do that this morning. As we think about God's will, there is a certain sense in which there is an investment on our part. When God, when Jesus said, ask, um, that's kind of a verbal thing. When he says, seek, it's, it's a, a bit of a, uh, a going, a looking. When he says, knock, there's the thing of, of, of kind of a persistence in working on this. You know, if it was easy, I guess everybody would do it. <laughs> And so it's, it's not that God is hiding the, what he wants from us, but he wants us to seek him and to uh, be blessed in the search. And he wants us to uh, devote some time and energy into what he wants to reveal to us. <clears throat> As we think about how God reveals his will, um, I'll just mention four things this morning. Uh, these are kind of a prelude to what we'll talk about in the second message if the Lord tarries. But as you think about how how do I find God's will, I'm saying this as a review for us adults and maybe as a opening material for our teenagers. How how do we find God's will? What where do we go? What do we do? Well, um, let's go to Second Timothy three for our first one, and then again just foundational. Basic concepts here. Second Timothy three fifteen. So Paul is talking to Timothy and he reminds him of something. He says from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, so he was familiar, which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, the lady of God, may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, Unto all good works. Or we might say from the New King James, the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we'll start with the most basic thing, and that is that when we're thinking about finding God's will, we turn here first. And it's very basic. I know I'm saying something you already know, but it is amazing how when you read the word, study the word, memorize the word, um, the Holy Spirit working with that will help you see things that apply to where you are. Now, this is not a list, 
of 10,000 scenarios and answers necessarily, but it's a record of many scenarios with people doing a range of very poor, poor, moderate, good, and best. And as we read these passages, we gain insight into what God wants. And so um, often we're seeking for a very explicit, perfect answer. And what we find here is a principle that applies to our particular situation. And I want to say that I think God's, we know that God's entire will is written down for us here, all that he wanted us to know. And so we might feel like, well, it doesn't speak to this thing. Well, God intended it not to speak to this thing. He wanted us to dig, search, ask, and find it. Um, If he wanted us to know explicitly, he would have said so. But he gave us enough to move forward on. And so I can rest in that, that, that God gave us all that he knew we needed. No more, no less. But he expected us to go there as a reference book to find um, direction. Keep in mind that there's a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. Um, some, I just was exposed to this recently, refer to it as the first testament and the second testament. Um, so in the new testament, I like that better because it clarifies for me the new, the old being largely historical, the new being for the New Testament church, that not everything you find in the Old Testament is God's will for his church, his people today, but it gives you some insight into what God is and does. But as you read especially the New Testament, you'll find principles there, Peter, Jesus, Paul, men speaking um, of what God's will was for the New Testament Christians. So you find lists, you find... um, Situations you find just different ways that God gave direction. So the written word is the most basic and foundational way to know God's will. I'd like now to go to Romans chapter 8. And speak a bit about the direction of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, Jesus promised his disciples that in his absence or after he left, the Holy Spirit would come and dwell on them. And Paul writes about that a bit in Romans 8 verse 14 when he says, For as many as are led... particularly pulling out that, as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, as in our dear Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so I'm not diving into this deep, but God, Jesus, have promised the Christian the aid of the Holy Spirit. And so I've titled this second point, An Active Holy Spirit. And I realize this can kind of be subjective because sometimes people will say, well, the Spirit told me this, but it doesn't line up with the Word. 
that can't be. And so they are listening to the wrong spirit. But there is just, there is a really important part that the Holy Spirit plays in finding God's will. And I'm not fully prepared this morning to try to describe it to the nth degree, but when we are at peace with God, when our hearts are right and we're reading the word, um, the Holy Spirit can remind us of things that we've read in the past. The Holy Spirit can enlighten a passage and we say, oh, now I see how that fits. I, that applies to me. Or um, the Holy Spirit can just work in our mind to give us peace with a decision. Sometimes you're facing something and you feel unrest. You feel a little uncertain. Um, not that your peace is destroyed, but you're just not quite sure. And then I think there are plenty of times that the Holy Spirit can help us choose a course and then be at peace with it. And we're not second-guessing and saying, well, if this, if this, if this. No, we felt like we had clear direction. We move forward with some faith because the Holy Spirit gave us some direction. Paul said in 1 Corinthians, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given us by God. And so there's somehow this connection between God's will and us and the Spirit carrying that message that we may know, he said, by the Spirit, God's, the things given us by God. I don't mean to make this sound mystical by any means, and yet there is, there is an active Holy Spirit in our hearts which can give us some direction. I'd like now to go to Acts 13 and think about the brotherhood a little bit. So thirdly, we have our church family or advice, if you will, or um, seeking counsel is spoken of many times in Proverbs. And so for this to work, we need to be willing to ask. Uh, that was evident there in the Mark passage. They were asking Jesus. But I'm just saying for us to tap into, to benefit from the collective wisdom of this body right here, this whole group, we have to ask, right? If most people are slow to um, just voluntarily come and give you advice. And I think we're kind of slow to hear it too. You know, somebody comes and they say, well, I think. And you're thinking, did I ask? <laughs> well, they probably felt strongly enough that we, they thought we should have asked if they're coming that way. But if we ask and then we are in um, a position to hear, and I think it's also imperative that we're in a position to Listen, as in to take it to heart, what we hear. Maybe um, we're facing a decision and two or three people tell us, no, we don't think so. Well, what does that tell us? <laughs> Probably not, but maybe in our heart we had already, we were just looking for a confirmation and we didn't get it. Well, that should cause us some pause. In Acts 13, <clears throat> this passage is about the church and the Holy Spirit. I'm blessed by this. Um, they had adequate leadership in 
you know, sometimes in Acts, they needed leaders. And so they sought the Lord in that. But it seems in Acts 13.1, they had a surplus of leaders, or they had adequate leaders for their needs. It mentions Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manain, and lastly, Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas, I missed him, sorry, in that first list, and Saul. And so the first one in the list and the last one in the list were to be sent out. So what do you see working there? Well, the Holy Spirit was active, but it was working through the church. And so they commissioned, if you will, a group of two missionaries and sent them away. They were well supplied with leadership. They had willing people, and they um, decided through the Holy Spirit in the church to send two. Well, I'm blessed by that. You know, were Barnabas and Saul busy? I would expect. Were they effective? Probably. Were they needed? I'm sure. But the church sent these two. Um, and were they in their own hearts feeling God's call? Were they somehow prepared for this? Were they um, waiting for direction in their lives? Were they even individually really seeking God's will? Maybe the church answered that question for them. But I just really like how that the church worked to send these two, and we know that their mission was productive. Let's go to Philippians 1, verse 12, and touch on the fourth point. Philippians 1, verse 12. I wanted to arrange these four things in order of what seemed like importance, and that was um, a little challenging because different situations are different, but... The word is so solid and so available to everybody, it seemed like it needed to come first. And the Holy Spirit had to immediately follow that because it's revealing the word. And the church just really needed to be third, which left circumstances and open doors fourth. And they're kind of subjective too, but it seemed like where they should be. So in Philippians 1.12, um, we have a uh, Paul reflecting on something that turned out that wasn't, it didn't seem so good, I think, at the time. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That was how the New King James puts it. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. So, I don't know, just back, back of this story, I can sense a church praying very much that Paul be protected, not arrested, released from prison, whatever it all was, but none of that took place. You know, Peter um, got out of jail free, if you will, and Paul at times, and yet, in this case, there was Paul. And Paul says, that which happened, as if to say, ah, I see, so God had a hand in this. And what we thought was not good turned out, he said, for the furtherance of the gospel. 
So his ministry took a really, his work, his plans, if you will, took a hard turn left, it, it seemed. But he's reflecting back and saying, I see now that it turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. And what he didn't know, and maybe didn't, is that it, it was much bigger than the palace guard. It was us. We have letters from prison preserved that we need for direction from God. And so we can look back and say it turned out for the New Testament epistles to be written. But see, for Paul and the church, it felt like it was turning out badly. And so God can redeem bad situations. Uh, God can even bring things into our life that we feel like are not good, but later we can reflect on it and say it was good. And so even with God directing our steps and us following, I am sure that Saul, Paul, was very diligent. Remember the, the dream and the call to Macedonia, and he just, over there he went. Um, so I think he followed very carefully, but there were some sharp turns in his life, and that shouldn't shake us. It should actually help us to live with a sense of expectation and excitement that it's not boring. How do we know? But there's not um, more work, new work, exciting new horizons that God will call us to. And then equip us for. I would like to leave some thought material with you. The two months is almost too long for this. But I just want you to think about how... how how encompassing do you feel God's will is? Um, and so maybe two examples here would be like if a man is seeking a vocation, a work, what you're going to do. And so maybe when you get to high school and you're choosing electives, you come face to face with this thing of what am I going to do the rest of my life? What am I interested in? What, what do I wish to study? And you're thinking, well... What should I pick? Um, I remember just kind of, that was, for me anyway, that was kind of the first time I thought about, well, where do I want to go? And for some of my friends, it was just very clear. They knew. Others, not so much. And for some of us, our plans changed different times in our lives. Um, but how, how broad or small is God's will in that in your mind? Do you think God has just one job? that he intended Brother John to do, or Brother JP, or myself. Just one thing, and so we spend a lot of effort finding that one job, or is it larger than that? And I'm going to broaden this out a little bit. So young men and young ladies, do you feel like there's just one perfect person in the world, or is it broader than that? Like God is in heaven, and he knows everybody and everything and everybody's hearts. And does God have this just, like, is it, I don't know how to draw this, but is it, um, is God's will just this, or is it, or is it uh, uh, an area with a bit of an undefined edge, um, uh, but a, there's a large space in here, or is it more of a, um, I'm not always exactly sure, but I, in my mind, to me, 
I think God's will can be, um, we talk sometimes about God's perfect will. Maybe you see that as the exact center of this. God's permissive will or not in God's will. Um, I want to encourage you that I feel like God has given us free choice to use and to exercise within within the bounds of what he's given us and with the Holy Spirit. And I don't think it's one exact thing that we need to agonize over and second guess and really, like, I don't know, I want us to seek God's will very much. I want us to be very concerned that we're doing what God's want, but I don't want us to waste um, emotional energy trying to hone that to an exact point when I think God's will is wider than that. Now, if I am wrong and you want to weigh in on this, I would love to hear from you, older or younger, about how you have found this. But I think as far as vocation, so we would just choose. We know we need to choose something that is um, healthy, something that is of service to mankind, something that spreads the gospel, something that financially supports us or our family. So there's some parameters. But, you know, mechanic, printer, chicken house operator, they can all work. They can all be a blessing if we look for opportunities in our vocation to um, serve the Lord and to serve other people. I don't know that every decision has so many options available necessarily, but some do. And um, I think as we, it, it can be an individual thing that for some it seems there's a wide scope and for others maybe a narrow scope. It can depend on the decision and many things, but I rest in this, and I've prayed this many times, Lord, I don't know exactly, exactly what you want. I want to know, and I'm willing to do it, but help me, help me find that. And sometimes it was immediately clear, sometimes it took time, and sometimes it was left as kind of a broad range of choices, and I felt like God was saying, you have you have these choices, choose one that works, that fits. Make your best assessment with counsel, the Holy Spirit, the Word, and move forward. And trust God enough to know that if you have really done diligence, that you've done what you can. And if he wanted you to do differently, he would have revealed that. I think there's a great peace in knowing that we have followed the Lord as best we can. And there's always room for improvement. We'll um, talk about that a bit, too, in the second sermon. I'd like to close with Isaiah 40, verse 31. This is a very common verse, and yet there's blessing here. In finding the Lord's will and discerning the Lord's will, there is often a time of discernment, a time of waiting. Think about the promise to Abraham and the time of waiting. 
Think about um, different things in your life that have taken some time to develop. And so you can claim this verse with the emphasis on the fourth word. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so one thing we do know is that when God's will is not clear, we can wait. And often that time will allow God, circumstances to work, and it will become more clear. My experience is that God does not show us, and you know this for sure, God doesn't show us the whole path of our life. It's good that he doesn't. But he'll often show us the next step. And as we do that faithfully, we feel that, we're doing our best, well then, tomorrow when the sun comes up, it brings enough light to know what to do that day. And maybe we can see forward a week or a month or a year, but sometimes it's shorter than that. And we wait on the Lord as we seek his will.